right, Matthew chapter 5, if you will, and we're down about verse 17, 18, I think is where we got through last time, so last study. So let's pick up in verse 17, uh, where Christ says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And, and again here, as he does that, and as he's beginning to lay out the Sermon on the Mount here, the lifestyle of the saints in the kingdom, and we've been down through the Beatitudes, we see that they're the salt and the light of the world, and so forth. <clears throat> now, Paul, now Paul, now the Lord begins to lay in some information here, and first of all, when he says here in verse 17, well, then in verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. So, obviously, the Old Testament doesn't end with the first coming of the Lord. Okay? Uh, it's very interesting when you talk about, when did the Old Testament begin? And everybody says, well, Genesis. And it does not, be, Old Testament does not begin in Genesis. It begins with Moses in Exodus 20 when he gave him the law. That's where the Old Testament begins. That's where the law begins. That's where the old covenant begins. You know, Abraham to Adam to, Paul says, Adam to Moses, death reigned. So that's what was in play. Then when Moses comes in, now we have the law, now we have the Old Testament. So the, the Old Testament here is still in play. It's still on board. And, and again, the large measure of the Old Testament is, is, is history written in advance. Um, it's always the key, how do you prove God? Well, he told the future, and guess what happened? It came to pass the way it is. So you have the history there written in advance. Some of it is future from where we're at. So you have to be very careful with it here. <coughs> Excuse me. And by the way, I'll, be, I'll apologize now for, for coughing. I'll try not to cough down in the mic for the folks online, but uh, it'll just be what it is. It's not going any further than me, so... I'm not spewing stuff. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Cough into your elbow. I'm like, really? All right, here's my handkerchief, so I'll do that. How's that? You know, <clears throat> I had a kid one time tell me, hey, bus driver, you need to cough in your elbow. And I said, real, real men don't cough in their elbow. He goes, what? Yeah, I go, real men use handkerchiefs because I had one, you know. <clears throat> and I said, well, that's what you use you know, for. But uh, I'll put it right here, and I'll try and remember to grab it before I hack all over my, my Bible in the pul pulpit will disinfect the pulpit. Verse 18. <laughs> See, I even got him going. All right, ver verse 18. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And this is, I think, is where we got down to last time. That's where my mark and my notes are. So we'll just go through here. When he talks about a jot and a tittle, uh, the jot, a jot is, is a Hebrew letter, okay? And a tittle is, is a little, is the end of the Hebrew letter. Go back with me to Psalms 119. And I'll be honest with you, this is something that gets lost when the Bibles out there don't put this information in Psalms 119. Okay, 
Psalms 119. You start there in verse number 1. <coughs> and um, do you have at the top, above verse 1, an alpha? Do you have a symbol, though, the Hebrew letter? Okay? No, not online you don't, do you? But do you have alpha? Oh, Aleph, sorry, Aleph. Okay. So above, on, on my app, on, in my phone, I have the, the word. I don't have the symbol. And this is where you have, it's, it's really too bad that the Bibles don't do this. And they discard it thinking it's not part of the text. And in reality, it is part of the Hebrew text. So in top of verse 9, you have, it's a Beth, and, it, and, it's a, and it's because these are the Hebrew letters. And <clears throat> with the Hebrew letters, you can then understand what the jot and the tittle is. Okay? Verse 17, <clears throat> you have a, it's Gimel, G-I-M-E-L. All right? But if you look at verse 73... Top of verse 73 is the word jod, J-O-D. That is a jot, that is jot, okay? And so, the, and again, if you, you, you can't really see it because you don't have it in the, oh, do you have it? In a different app? Yeah, <clears throat> okay. So you have this little jot. And it looks like a tiny apostrophe. So a jod, or the, the jot, is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet when you go through them. Okay? So a tittle, then, is a little projection on the edge of the letter that distinguishes some of the letters from other letters. And I want to, I want to, that's why it's kind of hard to illustrate this, but. On top of verse 25 is the word Daleth, D-A-L-E-T-H, okay? And it looks like that. It's got a little seven, okay, with a little thing on it, all right? <clears throat> Actually, it goes a little beyond, and then it comes down, all right? Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar or anything, but when you come over to verse 153, 153, you've got the top of it, you've got the resh, R-E-S-H. And the resh <coughs> looks like that. Okay? R-E, and that's on top of uh, verse 153. The tittle is this piece right there. That's the tittle, just the extension. Because without the extension, they look identical. I'm, my drawing is not to scale, okay? But so if you look at a Hebrew alphabet, you're going to see a lot of things go, wait a minute, that's, those look very similar, but that tittle is that end piece right there. So the jot, this is the tittle. That's the tittle right there, is that piece, okay? <clears throat> so when you, <coughs> now, you could easily miss that little tittle, by the way. 
by looking at it. You guys see all that in your stuff you're looking at? So when you come back to Matthew 5, what Christ is saying is that not, not, the, not the smallest letter nor the smallest little piece of a letter is going to pass from the law until all is fulfilled. And what he's talking about, honestly, in that is the preservation of the Scriptures. And the fact that Scripture has... So when you come back to Matthew 5, verse 18, that's a great promise in Matthew 5, 18, about the jot and the tittle and everything there, so that you can understand that that little... The Word's going to be there until it's all fulfilled. Verse 19, Matthew 5, 19. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, if you're going to break the least of the commandments, not the greatest, and then you're going to go teach men that... So he. <laughs> Obviously, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. If you look at verse 21, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. So then he gives the Ten Commandments. Verse 27, Ye have heard that it's said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. There's the, the well, you've got the Sixth Commandment in 21. You've got the Seventh Commandment in 27. So obviously he's talking about the Ten Commandments. And so if you teach the Ten Commandments, you're going to be great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, why he's talking about the Ten and not the other 613 of them as a totality is because the Ten are the main, they're the main outline, <clears throat> okay? And the other 600 come in and create the case law that back up and prove out the Ten, You've got here are the Ten Commandments, and what the other, other laws do and the other mechanisms do is, okay, how do we handle this certain situation when we have someone who has stolen, thou shalt not steal? How do we handle that? Well, we have several options. Cut his hand off, do this, do that, do different things, you know, feed him to the dogs, give him to the pigs, whatever it is. And they, none of that's in there, okay? <laughs> I'm just trying to wake Paul up here, okay? <clears throat> there he goes. Yeah, he was. <laughs> uh, see, <clears throat> I know. <clears throat> it got me laughing, and now it hurts. See, so when he talks here about the ten, that's because these are the main. These are the main. The main rules, nine of them are moral, one's a ceremonial deal, so we're going to take care of that. So when, when he talks here about the law, um, come back to Isaiah chapter 2. You need to understand something. Uh, again, folk, we're, obviously we know we're not under the law. Okay, We understand we're dead to the law. The law is not going to work today. But uh, you need to understand what the Lord's talking about here because this is a Sermon on the Mount. It's the big one. This is the big message everybody likes to run to and use and do. And you've got to understand that when he, when he says, hey, if you preach it, the, if, you, if you break one of the least of these, 
and you teach men that they can break them, then you're going to be the least in the kingdom. But if you're keeping them, you're going to be the greatest. When he says all that, that's because in the kingdom, the law is going to be magnified. It's going to be exalted. Isaiah chapter 2, notice verse 1. <clears throat> the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the tops of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. And that's the kingdom. So when the kingdom is set up, what's he doing? All the nations are going to flow into it. They're going to come to it. And again, you have to remember, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Where did he go? He went up in a mountain and he sat down like the king. Verse 3, And many people shall go and, and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So it's going to go out, isn't it? It's moving out. So the, the law be, really is magnified. <clears throat> the law doesn't change. The application of it does. The Mosaic law was that if and then clause to it. But we're talking about the Messianic law. I talked to you a couple uh, lessons ago about we're moving into the new, some new covenant things here. When we get into late, further down in chapter 5, He's going to look over there and say, hey, if a man looks at a woman and commits adultery in his heart, the law, set, Mosaic law, is an act of adultery. It's the actions. Now it's a heart issue that he's driving home. Uh, come over to Isaiah 42. So in, in the kingdom, that, that's why I told you this Sermon on the Mount is here's how, here's the lifestyle of the kingdom saint. And it's going to all come out of a heart issue. And the heart there being that issue from the new covenant. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 verse 19. Who is blind but my servant? Or deaf as my messenger that I sent? Who is blind as he that is perfect? And blind as the Lord's servant? Seeing many things but thou observest not. Opening the ears but he heareth not. The idea there is when Christ is reigning on the earth, he's going to come along and execute real, impartial justice. The statue of justice is blindfolded, isn't she? Okay? She's got scales in one hand. She's blindfolded over her eyes, and she's supposed to be blind so that people stand before will be judged equitably, equally. Okay? Look at verse 21. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. In the kingdom, the law of God is going to be exalted and magnified among the people. That's what's going to happen. So if you break the law in the kingdom, it's going to be instant impartial justice. Okay? There's literally going to be that shaft over there. Where he, they're gonna boom. He's, they're just gonna take them and put them right off into the lake of in, into hell, not the lake of fire, but into hell. There's not gonna be a hold on a minute. Where, when's my court date? It's impartial. It's fair. It's right there. 
So when you come back to Matthew 5, and you see the Lord here, he's going to magnify the law all down through the rest of chapter 5 here, honestly. He's going to bring some, he's going to magnify it, he's going to honor it. So from here on, the law is going to take a new turn. And it's going to move now to, and it's going to, it's going to be intensified. He's going to take it and just boom. And when he does that, again, we're not talking about the Mosaic covenant. We're talking about the new covenant, the Messianic covenant, we would, or the Messianic law, we would call it. Okay? And again, that's Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, and Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 there, where he's going to take his law, write it in their hearts, give them a new spirit, a new heart, cause them to go do the things, and so forth. <clears throat> So we need to be familiar with those passages and remember that as we go through this because he's not just saying, oh, you broke Moses' law because later in Matthew he's going to tell some people, go do what Moses told you to do, purification rites and all that stuff. That's coming. Here in chapter 5, 6, and 7, he's talking about the new covenant He's talking about the messianic law. That's what he's dealing with. That's what he's talking about. Um, Back in Matthew 5 now. Verse 20. Watch him magnify, exalt, intensify the law here. Matthew 5 verse 20. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, Ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, the emphasis is on that kingdom of heaven. But you have to exceed the righteousness, don't you? (laughs) You have to... (coughs) Paul said he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, pertaining to the law, blameless, righteous, zeal. That meant he didn't say he was faultless. He just said, when I messed up, I went and did what the law required me to do to make it right. The, fair, the scribes and the Pharisees are your fundamentalist. They're the fundamental Bible-believing Jew. Okay? They do not recognize Christ as Messiah, but they believe in Messiah. They believe in a resurrection. They believe in all, in all the ad- things. They just don't recognize Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. The Sadducees are your liberals or modernist. Okay? They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe a lot of the details of the Old Testament. So they, they sit out there. But here, <coughs> you have to have the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, their righteousness was derived. Come over to, hold on here. Come over to Romans 9. Their righteousness was deri- deri- comes from the Mosaic Covenant from the works of righteousness that they did. That's where they're, um, uh, Romans 9, okay? Romans 9, verse number 30. Romans 9, verse 30. By the way, this is why you have to have Paul in your book to understand some of this. (laughs) Because when you understand Paul and you read that thing there in Matthew 5, 20, you go, oh, yeah, I know that. I know. I've read that in Romans 9. 
Verse 30, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they, Israel, the Jews, sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. What'd they do? They're just down there trying, chapter 10, verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You see, the law never told them Christ was the end of it. Paul tells us that. That's why you've got to have Paul. Where was the law pointing them to? Christ. Right there. They didn't get it. But that issue, they went about to establish their own righteousness. That's what he's talking about back here in 520. You've got to have the righteousness that you're going to get by keeping the Mosaic Law, by their own self-righteous effort. And again, they missed the Messiah because they weren't walking by faith. They were walking by works, their own activity, the energy of their own. So when you come back to Matthew 5, what Christ is telling these people is that their righteousness had to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees who were attempting to keep the Mosaic Law. But notice what he says to them there. <clears throat> they have to have the righteousness that comes from the what? From the heart. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even now, it was pointing towards the Messiah. <coughs> See, they have, when he says there, that exceeds your righteousness shall exceed the right, you shall know... You, they have to have that. They have to have that new covenant righteousness. Is what they're get, what he's getting at here with them. Because watch what he does in verse twenty one with them. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and what and whosoever thou shalt kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire notice how he's passing over the outward act and he's beginning to apply the standard which is the heart issue the heart attitude with which the act is done anger without a cause drop down to verse 27 ye have heard that it was said by them of old time thou shalt not commit adultery but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart it's a hard attitude so he is setting the standard high and he's setting it as high as he possibly can. Because it, it, they're not going to be judged on the outward issue. They're going to be judged on the heart issue. And when he does that, he de, he's demonstrating the failure of the people. Their depravity. 
That's what he's doing. He's laying it out. Hey, guess what you are? Yes, you are the son of Abraham, but you're still the son of Adam, too. Yeah, you have a descendant line and connected with the seed, but you also have a sin issue that's got to be dealt with and taken care of. And I'm here to take care of it. When he does that, again, he's, he's getting on them. So what Christ is saying is not enough in the kingdom to control the outward reaction. You have to have a change in your heart. That's what he's getting at. And that's really the key to this. The key here going forward is going to be a heart issue, a heart dealing. Now, you have to remember, he's talking to who? His disciples. In a little bit, he's going to be talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and guess what? He talks completely different with them. But these are his people. So <clears throat> come, come, on, come back with me. Notice where this is going to, what, how this is going to work. Come back to um, Ezekiel 36, but we need Deuteronomy 30 to start. So go to Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30. <coughs> you guys with me and see what's going on here I, again in chapter 5 I'm just trying to show you how he intensifies the law how he's going to he's making it crisper we'll go back through and get some of the details here when we uh, next time in back in chapter 5 there but I just want you to see how he's kind of turning the, 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 the heat up about the law that it's now it's not just that overt action of sin but now it's the heart where sin comes from and what's driving it. See, sin starts as a thought, starts in your heart and your thinking. The act of it is, is just the end result of a long process of thinking it, of excusing it, of self-justification, of, ra uh, of, uh, of uh, rationalizing it, making I can do this, everybody else is doing it, so it's okay type thing. And then you go do the action, then really it started over here in, in, in the darkest recesses of your heart. And that's what he's do, dealing with. Deuteronomy 30, look at verse 6. And again, Deuteronomy is one of these fascinating books because he tells Israel everything that's going to happen to him going forward and prophetically, and they don't listen to him, and yet here it comes. <laughs> Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart, the heart of thy seed, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. Notice he's going to circumcise their what? Their heart. They've already been physically circumcised. They've already got the sign of, of, the, of the covenant of Abraham. But they have to have a heart adjustment. They have to have their heart fixed. Come over to Ezekiel 36. And this is where he does it. Ezekiel 36. <coughs> Excuse me. Ezekiel 36. When the Lord does this to Israel is when he comes back in his second coming. He gives them a taste of it in the Acts period. Okay? There's a, there's a tasting. Of, uh, you, Linda was making stuff for tomorrow, last night. 
And she goes, do you want to taste it? And I go, well, of course. <laughs> you know, lick the, the, the beaters type thing, you know. I'm like, ooh, that could use a little bit of nothing. That's perfect right there. And she goes, okay, good, because it's going to sit now and get even better, because it does. <clears throat> Her, she makes a cheese pie that just, she goes, what do you want? I go, your cheese pie. Usually, I, I, pecan pie is my favorite pie. Apple is a close second. But uh, her cheese pie is on a shelf all by itself. So she, um, she's ta- and I'm like, yeah, well, that's what the Lord does. He gives them a tasting of it in the Acts period. They can, they can see it. They Because he's been teaching it to them. We saw when we studied John in that upper room, he lays all that information out. Hey, there's, there's another comforter coming, the Holy Spirit. When he gets here, he's going to bring all this up for you. He's going to teach you. So that when I come back, we're ready to go. Ezekiel 36, now you've got time to find it. Verse 24, <clears throat> here's when he's going to fix their heart so that they can love him, so they can get into the king, the land, they can get in the kingdom, they can get everything that, that he promised to them becomes theirs. Verse 24, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out all of all countries and bring you into your own land. You, <clears throat> that is going to only happen in a fulfillment at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. After he's destroyed the enemies, set everything at naught, put it right, and he's going to, in, in Revelation, he's going to send the angels out to gather them from the four corners. Okay? Then, notice the timing. Then, when, that, when I gather you all back, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you? <clears throat> clean water. What do they need to be? They need to be baptized. Therefore, you have John's baptism. Why? They are a royal priesthood. They're a kingdom of priests. I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean. That nation has to that nation begins by being identified through John's baptism of the repentance for the remissions of sins. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart will I also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I shall give, that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanliness, and I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you, and I will multiply the fruit, and then he just blesses them. It's all kingdom. But what happens here is God's going to put a new heart in that nation, and that's the promise of the new covenant. Sometimes you will hear people say that the new covenant is a grace covenant, because in this ca- and it is, because in the grace covenant is I will do this for you. Okay, 
He promised to Abraham, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to give you a nation, I'm going to give you a throne. And then I'm going to bless you. So they go out. And he looks at Abraham and he says, let Lot go one way, you go the other, you pick the land, that's your land. So they're sitting in the land. I got a cough. (coughs) Excuse me. They're sitting in the land. What do they do? They think they're going to lose the land. So he reaches down. No, thank you. He reaches down and he makes the Palestinian covenant with them, promises them. And so now it's a, I will give you this land. Okay? The throne. He sets the nation up. He goes in to, with the Davidic covenant. I will make, he, the king will be sitting here from, through David. He does it. The new covenant. The blessings. You read down through the rest of this chapter. You read Jeremiah 31. The blessings that are going to flow there. I will do this for you. So he begins to lay that out. So when he's putting that all on display back here in Matthew 5. Go back to Matthew 5. What Christ is saying here is, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And I'm going to raise the standard so high that nobody can reach them. So I'm going to have to do it for you. And I'm going to do that by giving you a new heart. I'm going to do it for you. Now, Israel will never have what she seeks for outside of the Messiah. And that's the the grounds here that we're on. We're on that kind of ground. Now, when you go back here to Matthew 5, there's something that gets said here that a lot of people kind of misunderstand. Folks will say that he is abrogating, abolishing the law. And when you really look at it, he's not. Okay? If you look at verse 21, here's why they say this, just so you see it. Verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, right? Verse 22, but I say unto you. See how he says, but I, you heard it of old, but I'm saying unto you. Verse 27, ye have heard that it was said of them of old time. Verse 28, but I say unto you. Verse 31, it hath been said. Verse 32, but I say unto you. Verse 33, again, ye have heard that it hath been by them of old time. Verse 34, but I say unto you. Verse 43, ye have heard that it hath been said. Verse 44, but I say unto you. See how he pulls that. So people will say he's abolishing the law. He, and, and actually, when you look back up at verse 17 and 18, what did he say? Till heaven and earth pass one jot one tittle of the law no why you know it, it until i do what fulfill it i came not to destroy it but to fulfill so you know good and well christ isn't abolishing the law he's doing what with it he's intensifying it he's exalting it he's raising it up and you have to be very careful with that 
So when you think about this, <clears throat> come back to Malachi. Malachi 3, just in front of Matthew. Malachi 3. When you think about this, you, <coughs> you have to be very careful with that. When you hear someone say that, you just got to say, eh, thanks for playing. See you later, dude. Okay? Look at Malachi 3, and start in verse number 1. Behold, <coughs> and, and I, I, I'm going to look here because there's some information here in the minor prophets. There's some information in the prophets, I should say, not just the minors. That if you say that he's going to abolish the law, you actually do harm to the prophetic scriptures. Malachi 3 verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare, and he shall prepare the way before me. Who is that messenger? John the Baptist, right? Okay. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. The idea there of that tribulation period is going to be a period of cleansing. Okay? They're going to be purified before they go into the kingdom. That's what he says. The Antichrist, the Assyrian, is a rod in my hand. A rod of my indignation. He's going to be out there doing things, not realizing he's doing what I need him to do, which is get rid of the rebel, get out the dross, purify Israel. Verse 5, And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, and against the adulterers, and against the false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside strangers from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. What he's saying there is, I'm going to come down there, and I'm going to destroy eight classes of people that are listed there. you got the sorcerer, the adulterer, the false swearer, the oppressor of the hireling, the widow and the fatherless, the one who turns the strangers from his right, what's rightfully his, okay? Those verses are all second coming passages to Israel warning them that they need to receive the Messiah and get ready to go into that kingdom because judgment is coming. Now when you come back to Matthew 5, guess what's going to happen in the rest of Matthew 5? Well, Malachi 3.5 becomes an outline for the rest of Matthew 5. Okay, you ready? Are you in Matthew 5? You got, you got eight classes of people. <coughs> and he's going to lay out now <coughs> in, in Matthew <coughs> 5. And I know what he'll, people say, the sorcerers aren't in Matthew 5. And, you know, okay, I'll give you that one. But look at verse 27. Thou shalt not commit what? 
adultery. There's the adulterers. Verse 33. And again, you've heard of them. Uh, you've heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. He's talking about swearing there, where, they, where they're trying to... He's, he's talking about adultery and then immediately about swearing, taking an oath, lying under oath is what he's talking about. And, uh, they, you know, usually when you use that word swearing, you think of all the four-letter words and everything... And he's not, he's not talking about that, but he's talking about that lying, that oath, as it will be connected with adultery. Okay? Then you run from verse 38 to 44, and now he's talking about the issues of turning the other cheek, going the second mile, giving to the one who asked to borrow. He's warning them not to oppress people, but to be free and giving to them, which is goes back up to the oppressor of the hireling, the widow, and the fatherless. Then in verse 43 to 47, he now he's, gonna, he's teaching them not to refuse anyone, that they are to love their enemies and do good to them, and that's the, that's the last uh, the commandment there, and uh, that's how they're going to be perfect. And uh, um, Verse 48, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So it's just interesting that those concepts, we're going to see them over and over in the prophets, are what we're now beginning to see in Matthew 5 as the Lord comes and begins to teach and begins to lay out the, the issues of the um, Sermon on the Mount, the lifestyle, the spontaneous lifestyle of the believers in the kingdom. Okay, So that's really where we're at. If you guys are good, I'm good, okay? <laughs> okay, and uh, we'll pick up in verse 21 there and start looking at the commandments and going through the details. I just really wanted you to see the overview, if you would, how he's going to take it and intensify the uh, uh, in intensify everything. He's moving it now from an action to a heart issue. He's, he's raising the standard. The standard has been raised. It's been elevated up and, and out and beyond. Okay, And that's going to be critical as we move forward because, again, in, in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we deal with the Sermon on the Mount. Then in chapter 8, he, start, he goes out there and starts healing people, and then he begins to go to bat, call the, little, the, the 12 apostles together, calls his leadership council together, and begins to form the little flock and then go, go out and do battle with the adversary in the form of the Pharisees and, and, and so forth, okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the folks that come out for the study, for the interest in it. And we just thank you for everything we have in your Son. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>